So we've started a new series where we are working to discover the mysteries of the kingdom. Seems that there are some mysteries. There are some things that are not known to all people. And yet Jesus says his desire, his heart, his love is to actually share these things with his own, with his children, the ones who follow him. And he speaks oftentimes in parables. And the the disciples asked him in Matthew 13, why do you speak in parables? These stories are the point. He says this, well, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has, have been given to you, but not to them, those who don't follow me. And so there, it seems, are some secrets that Jesus wants to share with those who follow him. And yet, there are not secrets that somehow he stashed away and you have to be ultra mature or you have to have walked with him forever to know these things or have some secret knowledge. No, he's actually put these things right out on the surface for us to experience and share. And so we are in the midst of this series going through a book called Jesus Secrets for Advancing the Kingdom of God Today. And so if you want to grab, I don't know if we have any more copies of this book in the lobby. We had about 75 copies that the author gave to us to hand out, but you can also, I think the Kindle version's free online, or you can get a little paperback, but there's only like six or seven pages that go with every message that we're, we're doing for eight weeks here during this series. And I want to encourage you to grab that book so you could be thinking a little bit more about this stuff. And it's totally attainable. So if you're new to the faith, this is not going to be over your head. It's going to meet you right where you're at. This is a good thing. So in the midst of it, our second secret that we are looking at, trying to discover, is this. We're discovering the secret of caring like Jesus. We talked about love last week. And so this is going to, well, this will be a little similar to what we talked about last week. But love in action, not just that gushy feeling, but actually compassion in action. So this morning... We're going to look at Matthew 9, and we're going to see how Jesus approached people who were far from God. We're going to see that compassion and passion for mercy stood out in contrast from the rest of those who were religious leaders of Jesus' day. And it's my prayer that we will become more aware of where we lack mercy for those who are far from God. and. As we're looking at Matthew chapter 9, to introduce this chapter, I thought it might be a good idea to show you a few clips from The Chosen, where The Chosen has acted these things out. And specifically, this is the calling of Matthew. Matthew is one, ends up being one of the disciples, but before he was a disciple, he was a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated. In fact, I want you to make sure that you watch in this clip all the way through. Matthew is despised by every single person except Jesus. So why were they hated? Because they were hired by the Romans. And they, looked at, they were looked at like traitors, that they were turning their back on their people. In fact, they, they were supposed to collect a certain amount of money but then they would tack onto it so they could take more home. And so they were look at, looked at as thieves in their culture. And they were 
looked at in the same category as prostitutes and sinners, those who are far from God. So grab your popcorn. Let's take a look at The Chosen. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going, guys? Let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. Does anyone want any grapes? Barnaby, you eat a lot. Very observant. Thank you. Simon? You know, Matthew, when you're not behind iron bars, you're quite handsome. I agree. Ah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is going on? Hmm. May I help you? We were just on a walk and we heard voices, and I thought it sounded like. But surely not. And yet it is you. Would you like to come in? We would never. Never be caught dead in a. In a what? In a tax collector's house? Not only that. But we say, do you know what she and he, they are... You seem to be having troubles finding your words, man. Why does your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? It is not the healthy who need a doctor, 
about the sick. I must say, I am shocked. She is from the Red Quarter. Much of what is done there cannot even be spoken by my tongue or across my lips. It is so unholy. The mere mention of it would defile me. Sounds like a personal problem. But him and the others he works with, they betray our people for money, and they're not even sorry. If you're so offended, then leave. Let them speak, Andrew. They've never offered guilt sacrifices in the temple. What? The priest keeps the records. We check them. Tax collectors are not welcome at the temple. We would like them better if they made the proper sacrifices. This is not about me. This is about what God wants. You are forgetting the scroll of Hosea. Hmm? Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy more than sacrifice. There are righteous men on the lookout for you. And they are weighing every word you say. Is that the threat? Please let them know this, Yusuf. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Is everything under control here? Uh, yes. We were just going on our way, Centurion. <laughs> just a little advertisement for the Chosen. Whoo! I have fallen in love with this portrayal of Jesus. Matthew 9. You saw some pieces of it right there, but I want to take you through some of these verses because Jesus leans in when people are far from God, not runs away. We see this incredible contrast between the Pharisees who come to the door who don't want to be defiled and poisoned and get the cooties from the people that don't look like God. Take a look, verse 9. Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. So we talked about the fact that tax collectors were not treated very well. You probably saw that in the clip. They were looked at as traitors. There's a good chance, too, that Matthew, this is not the first time Matthew has experienced Jesus. Jesus is in Capernaum in this place, and this is kind of his home base. So surely Matthew's at least heard about or maybe even seen Jesus healing others or delivering them from demons or just teaching. So I don't think this is the first time that he encounters Jesus, but this is the first time that Jesus looks at him and says, Matthew, son of Alphaeus, follow me. And Jesus calls to each of us in the same way. Andrew, Edward, come and follow. Matthew's decision to leave his tax collector's booth was, it, he couldn't go back. If you were a fisherman and you left fishing, you can always go back to fishing. But for Matthew, this is something that he said, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm all in. It was a forever kind of decision. And when Jesus calls Matthew, he's inviting a publicly known enemy onto his team. Think about the most controversial person in our city or state or country or whatever sphere you want that maybe is disliked. That's the person that Jesus is inviting onto his team. It would be incredibly polarizing. 
This would be a reputation killer. Any chief of staff in a political sense would go, don't choose that guy, bad choice. And you even see Simon going, do you know what this guy's done? And what does Jesus say in the video? Yes. And I still choose him. And that's the most amazing thing is that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners and messed up, Christ died for us. So we're saved and and Jesus goes and dies on the cross far before we've ever cleaned anything up. In the video, did you notice he had his little tablet with him? And he says, oh, I, I picked up the tablet. And what does Jesus say? By the way, this is not in the Bible. This is just very creative and I love it. And Jesus says, no, keep it. You might need it later. You see, Matthew writes the first gospel with his name. So Matthew goes on to be a very important disciple and apostle of Jesus Christ. Verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, so now Matthew's throwing a dinner party. And what does he do? He invites many tax collectors and sinners who came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the the Pharisees saw this, he asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Matthew invites his friends. I don't think Matthew had very many friends. The only friends he had were the ones with a bad reputation. He's like, come on over. You got to meet my friend Jesus. He is amazing. I love Matthew's desire to invite his friends into his life with Jesus. And I want to be like Matthew, where I'm inviting people in so that they can get to know my Jesus. The concept of table fellowship, sitting around a table, having a meal was really important in that culture. You just didn't invite somebody over for dinner. That didn't happen. You see, this was inviting someone else into your clan, into your family. This was saying, I'm with them. It was really, really important. So important that the Jews had all sorts of rules for who you couldn't eat with. You couldn't eat with a Gentile. You certainly shouldn't eat with sinners. They might get cooties. All of these religious creations by man to try to push away from people who are far from God instead of leaning in. So the fact that Jesus is sitting with these sinners and tax collectors, this is, a, this is mind-blowing. I mean, this is like, pick the people that are most despised in our city and that's who you have for dinner party. I'll let you pick the people because that could get weird, right? But whoever's the most, whoever's the look down on the most, those are the people that are at your table. And the Pharisees assume if you're eating with a sinner, you must be condoning their sin. You must be saying it's, it's okay to, to act like that, to, to live like that. Those in the religious community like the Pharisees, whew, this is a serious reputation problem. In Matthew 11, it kind of defines a little bit of how Jesus saw himself. The son of man came eating and drinking, they say. He's a glutton and a drunkard. That's a reputation problem. And a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is Jesus' reputation. He's always hanging out with those people who are really messed up. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty, if you will. I know when I started street pastoring, one of the things I had to learn a street pastors, by the way, is a program here in our city that multiple churches are, are a part of. 
and we're on the streets between 10 p.m. and about 2 or 3 a.m., loving on people on the streets, whether it's drunk college students or transients or whatnot. One of the things I learned was that people on the street, when they are overcome by emotion, they want to feel love and they want to hug you, whether they're a drunk college kid or a homeless person. And I learned that some of these folks that don't have homes don't smell good. And all of a sudden, they've got their arms out and you've got a decision to make. Are you going to embrace them and lean in and literally go, ooh, let's hold my breath. I'm just gonna hold my breath. Jesus, help. Or are you gonna go, no, no, I, I don't think so. And how long has it been since that person has been embraced truly without any kind of agenda, without any kind of selfishness, but in love? It's powerful. It's powerful. And Jesus has this reputation. He clarifies, let's go back to Matthew 7, or Matthew 9, our passage. He clarifies what his mission is in, uh, in this next verse. It's verse 12. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. To Jesus, a sinner is something different than what the Pharisees think. For the Pharisees, a sinner is someone who doesn't do all of their laws and their stuff that they put up as like hurdles. For Jesus, someone is a, a sinner that they're opposed to God's will, but they are like the sick who need healing. I don't know about you, but I think we all need healing. And Jesus isn't waiting for people to get all cleaned up and figure out their behavior, start doing what he wants them to do before he spends any time with them. He is willing to have them belong to his band, his dinner party, his disciples, his group, his family, before they ever say, okay, Jesus, I surrender. I'll do it your way. I am a major nerd. If you didn't know this already, this is, this is probably not a revelation for most of you. I love the Celtic saints between about 400 and 750. That's my favorite range. I gotta to have a range. I mean, you gotta be a real nerd, right? And there is these beautiful principles that our friend St. Patrick, who is, by the way, the greatest of all Celtic saints, he raised up his missionary teams and they would go out into Ireland to reach Ireland with his monks. And monks weren't guys that just hid in some cloister. They were out there building communities. And so in the wild, wild west of Ireland, they would build these communities. They'd put a little rock wall around it. And in the middle of these communities, they would put a church, some kind of a chapel or a worship space and a attached to it, a little one-room apartment. Why? Because if you were traveling and you came into town, the goal was, we're so glad you're here. Hospitality leads. We're so glad you're here. You can come and belong to us. In fact, we've got a place for you to stay. Come and stay for the first 24 to 48 hours. We're just gonna let you sleep and rest. It's dangerous out there and you're safe. And so they let that person rest and they would feed them food. And then after that, they would say, if you want to be a part of our community, you're more than welcome to stay. But today we're going to go feed the poor. Do you want to come with us? Come on, let's go. 
Today we're going to pray prayers in the chapel. Would you like to come with us? Let's go. Today we're going to go talk to these druids about what they believe and, and, and how far off they are and explain the true living God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In fact, I got a clover right here to show what that looks like. Come on, let's go. And there was an invitation to belong before you believed. These people would be invited into community and they would see the gospel being lived out. They would see that Jesus is good. Taste and see that God is good. And in the midst of it, they'd say, I want this. You have life that I don't have. You have joy that I don't have. You've got purpose and meaning that I don't have. How do I get to know this God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let us tell you. Because that happens in the context of relationship. Evangelism is powerful and there's wonderful things that can happen when you share Christ on the streets. And sometimes God is just in the middle of that and someone comes to Christ. Most of the time, the studies say people need to hear the gospel six or seven times before they finally are ready to go, I think I want this. I think I want Jesus. And the value of belonging before you believe is so critical to us at Neighborhood Church. This is one of those Celtic things that I've pulled up from about 600 AD and said, we're going to live this out. Which means that you could sit here on a Sunday morning. You could come to a life group. You could go to the chosen group. You can be even in our boot camp and not know Jesus, not be all in with him yet and learn about who he is and ask hard questions and even go, I don't know if I buy this. What about this? What about that? And we'll go on a journey with you. We'll try to figure it out. But we're not gonna spit you out and say, you don't belong here until you walk an aisle or pray a prayer or raise your hand or come front. This idea of allowing people to belong to your family, belong to you, even your neighbors, that your neighbors could sit around your table before they ever get to know who Jesus is. Why? Because they're getting to know Jesus in you. We carry, those who follow Jesus, carry the Holy Spirit and we carry the image of Christ. So when they get to know us, they start getting a glimpse of Jesus. And when we have love for one another, they really see the evidence that this is different. This way of life is different. So Jesus and my nerdy Celtic saints from 1,300 years ago agree. People can belong before they become or believe in Jesus. So Jesus is telling the Pharisees who come to the door, in our video at least, from the book of Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's what the verse says here. Jesus' issue with the religious leaders of his day were that they were running away from those who were broken and afraid to be soiled by them instead of drawing near. And you always see Jesus drawing near to those who are broken. Even if they've got leprosy, they're like, no, Jesus, don't do it. And Jesus is like, there's somebody with leprosy. I'm going to go for it. Jesus embraces messy lives with complicated relationships and a past that's littered with all sorts of brokenness. That's the kind of Jesus that we serve. Not one who stands off away from, but one who leans in. So as Jesus followers, do we do the same? Do we run to those who are broken or we go, I don't know, I might get overcommitted and I don't know if I know how to solve this problem. And you got a lot of stuff going on and maybe you need to see a counselor. You're not the savior, by the way. The pressure's not on you. But if you don't stay engaged, how will they know? 
How will they see? How will they hear who Jesus is if you don't stay engaged in relationship or engage in relationship at first? So do we really have a heart of mercy toward those who are far from God? Or do we stand in judgment waiting for them to get what they deserve? Yeah, you've really messed up some lives. Yeah, you've been really unkind. Yeah, you've been really selfish. I don't like the way you did this. I can't wait for you to get what you deserve. Matthew 5, 7. Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's going through a list of the ways that will be blessed, the ways that will be full and have life to the fullest. In verse 7 of Matthew 5. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. These are the people with no turf. These are the people who choose not to be offended. These are the people that that won't let something divide. James picks up this thinking in James 2. He says, if you really keep the royal law from Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. That's the command of Jesus. So James is going, yep, that's the right thing. But if you show favoritism, in other words, kind of a subtle kind of prejudice or like, I don't know about you or I think I'm gonna keep some distance from you. Doesn't seem like a very big sin, quote unquote, right? If you show favoritism, you sin, James says, and you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and even yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking the whole law. In other words, you get punishment the same. For he said, do not commit adultery. Also said, do not murder. But if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you've been a lawbreaker. He's just giving an example. Like, look, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory. His idea of how we're supposed to live our life in perfection and holiness. Speak and act, James says in verse 12, as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. In other words, care about what you're doing because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, I'm gonna read that again. This is, there's a few scary verses in the, in the Bible. This is one of those scary verses. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And you think, well, maybe Jesus just kind of like misspoke there. He didn't really mean that, did he? Well, actually he did. Let's see what he says two verses after the Lord's Prayer. He gets finished giving the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, which is a pretty big deal. I think the Lord's Prayer is a pretty big deal. Perhaps you know how to recite it. And then he says this on the very end of it. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Scary verse number two. What? Yeah. Mercy is a very big deal to Jesus. And it's a huge part of caring for those who are far from God. Mercy, not judgment. Jesus is clearly modeling for us how we're supposed to live to care for those who are far from God. Matthew 9, I wish I had time to take you through the whole chapter today, but that's why you've got a Bible at home where you could read the rest of the, the, the chapter on your own. But let me just summarize with four bullet points. In Matthew 9, after he says this, and he's talking about mercy, not judgment, this is so important, then Jesus goes and lives it out. He goes, oh, by the way, just to show you I'm the Messiah, and 
I am willing to do what I actually say. Uh, he heals a woman who is bleeding for 12 years and an incredible, miraculous moment. And then he raises the ruler's daughter from the dead. That had not been done in a lot of centuries until then. And then he heals two blind men, which as far as I remember, and you Old Testament scholars can tell me, I don't think there's ever been a healing of a blind person before Jesus. So we can check that, but I, I'm, I'm 95% sure. I'm giving give the 5% so I'm not an error. I'm working really hard to be really accurate. And then he casts out demon from a, demons from a man. He's like, yep, 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 yep. This is what compassion looks like. I'm willing to engage. I'm not gonna stay far away from those who are broken. I'm gonna get my hands dirty. I'm willing to step in. So he's a God who is loving and compassionate for those who are far from God. That's why we see on the back end of John 3, 16, which you might know, these two verses that talk about for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. This is not about judgment, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. In other words, we're all condemned to start out with, but Jesus doesn't come to condemn the world. He comes to save it. It's his mercy that leads him, and it's his mercy, his mercy that should lead us. Does this, does this mean that Jesus is soft on sin? No. Does he compromise? No. Does he have a heart for those who are far from God? Yes. Is he expecting people who don't know God to start acting all the right ways to follow his rules beforehand? No. Because this gospel that we have, this good news is the gospel of grace that after we surrender our lives to Jesus, then he begins to change us from the inside out. It's not an outside in, it's an inside out. So let me illustrate this way. This is my boss, a little picture of my boss, Wayne Spriggs. He's a tall Canuck from Canada. Wayne calls me recently and says, Andrew, uh, we've got this conference, we're gonna go and we can't get together in person, so we're gonna do it online and I want you to host for your region. I said, okay, boss. Yes, sir, I'll do it. And so I do the things that my boss asked me to do. I probably, hopefully you also do the same when your boss asks you to do something. If Wayne were to call you on the phone this week and ask you to do something, would you do it? No. Like, who are you? Are you that, are you that guy on the screen from Sunday? No, I'm not doing what you, I'm, you're not my boss. Some of you are like, no, I'd probably, I'd probably do it still. I mean, like, he's not your boss. You don't even have to listen to him. You don't even have to know who he is. When we look at people in the world and, and assume or get all offended that they're not doing what God says, it's as if we're saying, you need to listen to my boss. I know it's not your boss, but you should listen to him. Do you see what I'm saying? Sometimes as Christians, we just are so frustrated that the world doesn't look like Jesus. Of course, they don't follow him. Stop, at, stop worrying about that. Start loving him. This is not about behavioral Modification. The gospel is an inside-out transformational moment. I just, I'm just trying to convince you that we've looked at those who are far from those who are far from God in the wrong, with the wrong vision, the wrong mindset. I think about people in this world who I run across. And I think they're trying so hard 
They're trying so hard just to make it in this life. I've got Jesus, and man, it's hard for me. I got the Holy Spirit living inside me. It's hard for me. But for them, they're doing everything they can. They're grasping at whatever. So no wonder that they're, they have all kinds of substances they're turning to to try to get some kind of, of release or relief or something. Of course they are. I don't look down on people in the world because their sexuality is being expressed in selfish or confused ways. They're just trying to fill that hole in their heart. They're doing everything they can. I'm not surprised when they're taking instead of giving because they're acting like orphans because they are orphans. They're trying to find their way. That's the way I want to see my neighbors and those who are far from God, that I'll see them with a heart of mercy. They're just trying to fill up that hole in their heart, that emptiness in their soul. And they'll go to the ends of the earth to find it. And one more thing. When I connect with these people who are far from God, I just try to bring myself to the to table. Not my like, oh yeah, I got to act right. I got to do everything good. I bring my flawed self to the world. Why? Because that's who I am. I'm not going to put on an act. I'm not going to put on a show. I'm not going to act like I'm someone that I'm not. And that's really important because if I act perfect and put, put on the plastic life, it makes Christianity completely unattainable to somebody who's actually interested in it. But this doesn't mean that I try to compromise. I don't want to compromise and live like the world so somehow I could relate to them. No, I still want to live like Jesus but I bring my flawed self. This is the phrase that kept coming to my mind this week. It's, the, it's this. The world isn't looking for a reflection of itself. It's looking for an alternative way to live. If the world looks at you and doesn't see anything different in your life than everybody else, then it's going to go somewhere else. It's not, the world is not looking, looking for an echo of itself. So how does this get summed up? I gotta land this plane here in a minute. How does this get summed up in Matthew 9? Verse 35. Jesus then went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. How many disease and sickness? Every. He's not going, ah, I don't know. You've been living really bad, so I don't know. I'm not gonna heal you. He's not a respecter of persons. He's leaning in. Oh, yeah, I'm right. I'm. I'm for you. Last verse. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He was moved on the inside as the Hebrew word, uh, a Greek word that reflects the Hebrew, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It literally had a gut response on them like, oh, these people, they are so desperate. They are so hungry. They are so broken. And his compassion leads to action and pushes him into mercy. And so he sees them as a sheep without a shepherd. She sheep without a shepherd are totally defenseless. I mean, it is, it is bad. They're, when sheep get scared, I was reading about sheep this week. They just lay down. I'm scared. <laughs> no wonder they get eaten by predators. Guys, this is why you need a shepherd. Sometimes they starve to death because nobody's feeding them. I mean, sheep need a shepherd and people without Jesus need Jesus. They need a shepherd. So if you're a follower of Jesus, 
Are you leaning into relationship with those who are far from God? Or are you running away? Do you have judgment in your heart? Hoping that those who are far from God will pay for their sins. So I'll get what they deserve. Or is there a compassion and mercy? By the way, if you don't find that compassion and mercy, if you ask God, he will give you that compassion and mercy. It's his will. And I wonder if you're waiting for other people to start acting like Jesus, to obey Jesus before he's actually the boss of their life. I want to interview, uh, interview uh, two of my friends, Devin and Stephanie. Come on up, Devin and Stephanie. Um, because... They had people who reached out to them when they were far from God. They weren't living all the right ways and doing all the right things. And yet, people took an interest in their life. People saw them right where they were and had compassion on them. So guys, share with us. When you made decisions for Christ, you probably weren't doing everything right. No? Yeah, um, isn't God so good? Mm -hmm. He's so good. Um, that he would take us and, and restore us, and he's so patient. Um, yeah, so about 11 or 12 years ago, I found myself, um, I was running from God. I was running hard and fast, and I found myself in a, an apartment with my four children as a single mom and just really struggling, um, not knowing what was next, and... One day I had my downstairs neighbor come and she had cookies and she had a flyer inviting me to church. And I remember telling her, um, I don't go to church. I don't do church, um, even though I'd grown up in church. But, um, and so I set the flyer on my counter and a couple hours later, my best friend came over and she said, oh, someone gave me that same flyer on the bus today. And I immediately said, Okay, well, now we have to go. So um, I knew it was God. I knew him well enough. Um, and so I went to church. On, it was Easter Sunday, um, very special day. And I was, for the first time in my life, surrounded by people that loved me um, right where I was, in my mess, in my ruin. Um, and they showed me who Jesus was. Um, and there I met him. Um, he saw me. He called me by name. Um, he took me out of the pit I was in, and he rescued me, and he restored me there. And I met my amazing husband there as well, and um, he's been a man after God's own heart since I've known him. And he's taught me so much, and he's walked with me through my healing and um, restoration. And um, I'm just so grateful that he would take us and he would make us brand new, that we could be holy as he is holy because he sees us through his son. Um, yeah, I'm just so thankful. I, I love having a story to tell because it's a miracle. Yeah. Yep. And <clears throat> I love your story too. Yeah, I'm, I am continually floored at the unrelenting never-ending, unstoppable, reckless love of God. I think I messed up some of those lyrics, but um, it's absolutely incredible. You know, at, at bottom, I think that we all really have, either one of these two things is true. 
either there's no God and, and all that we see is just particles in motion, and this is one giant cosmic accident, and our lives are short, painful, semi-meaningless, and, and, you know, punctuated with moments of happiness and joy. But uh, that's, that's one possibility. Or maybe there's a God who created this world, who created this world with each one of us in mind, and whose dream and vision from the very beginning of creation has been to dwell with us, to be in our midst, and for him to be uh, uh, with us. And uh, I found the second story to be the true one. Um, For me, when I was at Chico State, I was raised in a moral Christian home um, and was miserable, uh, (laughs) unfortunately. I thought being a Christian meant try as hard as you can to be as good as you can and you know, be a virgin when you get married and, you know, don't hurt people and, and then you go to heaven. And, and I thought that's kind of what following Jesus meant. And uh, that's not what it means. <laughs> um, and, and I found myself in college just trapped in a lot of unhealthy uh, lifestyles that I had been going to to try to fill up this depression that had never seemed to go away. And I met a guy who told me, you know, Devin, um, Jesus can, can set you free from drugs. Uh, Jesus can turn your life around. Um, but you have to lay your life down. You have to seek him with all your heart. You have to literally give him your life. Think about if you went to a doctor and, and you said to the doctor, hey, I'm, I'm sick and I'm hurting, but don't examine me, don't look at me, and don't operate on me, and don't work on me. But tell me what you think I should do. <laughs> you know. And the doctor goes, well, you should lay down and let me work on you and watch what I can do. And that's exactly what God will do for you. If you will lay your life down, if you will say, okay, God, I'm done doing things my way. I will, like Matthew did, leave my lifestyle and follow you no matter what, wherever it might go. So maybe there's some people here that, um, as I've shared that, your own heart has been stirred. And there's a feeling that you have of, I have been not happy and wanting more. And, uh, you know, God knows all of our days from the end, from the beginning to the end, and he knew you would be here today. And if that's you, or maybe even if you're a believer who has been struggling again, you're, it's like a U.S. citizen who's been living in a foreign country and you've not been enjoying the rights that you know you have because you've been living sideways and you want to come back to your citizenship, which is in heaven. You want to live with Jesus again. Um, man, I invite you, just raise your hand and I'd love to pray with you. Um, I can tell you, not too long ago, I had to repent <laughs> and come back. So I see you. God bless you. So Lord, um, we just recommit our lives to you. Lord, we say thank you so much for creating us, for loving us, for uh, giving your son to us. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us afresh? Would you renew our joy at reading your word. Would you give us a new life and we give our lives to you in Jesus name. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. And so as we close, if you'd stand right where you're at, uh, prayer folks, if you'd come down forward, we got a prayer team here. We'd love to pray with you for you for whatever is going on. And I want to challenge you this week that when you see someone who is far from God or you think is far from God, would you move toward them and not pull back from them? Will you lean in and, and actually live your life? And then perhaps you'll get a chance to also share the gospel as well. So Paul says in Thessalonians, it says, we were, we were so pleased to share with you our lives and the gospel as well. So Jesus, give us new compassion, new mercy for those who are far from you. Help us to step into a place of loving so well. Holy Spirit, would you give us a gift of your love to be able to give away to others? Thank you that we don't have to do this in our own strength, that you're gonna give us everything we need, Holy Spirit. And God, I pray for those who are recommitting their lives They're saying, yes, I want to be all in with Jesus. Or those who are for the first time are saying, I'm in. I pray, God, that you would allow them to walk in this way. And so thank you for what you're doing. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks so much for coming, whether you're in here, in the house, or on the stream. We'll see you next week.